I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And welcome, board, one and all, to the 90-Day Omnibus, brought to you today by Blighty Day Fiancé, the only reality TV after-show podcast brought to you by a... Hang on a minute. Him Indoors isn't here this time. Basically, my husband, Him Indoors, who normally co-hosts the show with me, is uh, both under the weather and having to work full time. So we decided to give him a bit of a break. Sorry, Robbleheads. He is keen to catch the next one. Uh, if you'd like to hear, um, if you'd like to hear Robin and I <laughs> together, um, you can hear us on the Patreon doing the Fundy bus this week. That's where we cover the two shows, uh, loosely based on, um, Characters involved in Christian fundamentalism, uh, Sister Wives and Plathville. So that's on our Patreon, patreon.com slash Blighty Day Fiance. Blighty is spelled B-L-I-G-H-T-Y. But I'll tell you what, we've got a fantastic guest driver on the Omnibus this week. Mr. Elliot Wilson is back. Elliot is a celebrated columnist, a um, political pundit, a journalist, commentator, bon vivant, man about town, cigar smoker, culture vulture. He's my man Friday. He's my learned colleague. He is one of my favorite people in the world. That is a very small number. Give him a hand, folks. He can't hear you, but, you know, he's soaking it in. Hello, hello. And I should point out that I'm not involved in Christian fundamentalism, but uh, uh, but no. I'm always open to offers. Uh, my rates are very... Not yet. And maybe... That's what, maybe true. That's true. 
maybe we can invite you aboard the Fundy bus one day. The toilet is clogged at the moment. A a well-known TV presenter whose name we can't mention um, took a little bit too long in there. So uh, anyway, if you want to know who that is, head on over to Patreon. No, sorry. Uh, my name is Michelle. Uh, please forgive me for sounding a bit coldy, fluey, froggy. I have a sinus infection. I'm doing my best. Some people will prefer it um, when my voice sounds like this. My husband among them. So um, maybe these will be some nice tones for you to listen to on your commute or on the way to soccer practice or uh, badminton or, you know, your week your weekly drive to your country estate who knows elliot's enjoying it over a nice cigar what kind of cigar is that it's actually one of the own blends from uh, james fox on uh, uh, st james's street in piccadilly uh, they they blend their own tobacco from uh, i think nicaragua possibly um but it's very good it's very good and very reasonably priced i'm not sponsored oh. by them i'm just saying <laughs> i could be so, you know, Christian fundamentalists or cigar manufacturers, I'm open to offers of all descriptions. I hear that. I hear that. Now, um, you've probably noticed Riley of uh, Before the 90, who um, you can probably tell by the tone of my voice in introducing him. I'm not terribly fond of. He also enjoys the cigar but i feel like for him it's a it's a more recent affectation rather than something that he does i your talk of cigars in my personal experience of you elliot is limited to when i ask about them or uh when i say you know what did you do today and you mentioned having gone to the cigar bar um, yeah, a lot of what Riley, I've learned about Riley's cigar consumption is, has been uh, involuntary. I think Riley obviously uh, got the, the middle-aged douche starter kit and uh, <laughs> came with uh, an interest in cigars and an apparent love for jazz. Um, so he, uh, yeah, I think he, he just sort of bought it off the shelf. But he only likes misogyny jazz. Like, he he doesn't... I promise you he's not listening to Chet Baker. No, God, no. no. Um, if he doesn't... I, 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 Chet Baker was the uh, the first dance at my wedding all those years ago. Aw, uh, which song? Had, like, Let's Get Lost. It was uh, oh. very lovely. But unfortunately, it meant for about 10 years I couldn't really listen to Chet Baker anymore. But I'm fine now, so... Uh, yeah, no, so I good. hear that. But, you know, Riley's definitely... He's... He won't have the Miles Davis kind of blue poster because that would just be too authentic, but he'll have some kind of reference to jazz somewhere around his house that will demonstrate a kind of interest to people who didn't ask, uh, but, but more <laughs> fundamental. Oh, well, he's got that. a record. Sorry to talk over. He's got a record collection. Um, he has. Yes. Where he has, uh, shared with us, he likes Elton John, but he talked about Elton John as though Elton John were a little known artist that maybe a handful of people might have heard his early stuff. As opposed to um, one of the biggest recording artists ever. 
with a yeah, fifty-year career behind him. Yeah, yeah. You've got fun. a fun. You've got a fun Elton John anecdote that you shared with me today. Would you like to share with the class? Oh, yes. Uh, I was reading, well, I was reading a review of Bernie Taupin's autobiography, obviously Elton John's lyricist. And uh, in the 70s, Elton John was a big spender once he, he hit it big. And he had a private plane in the 70s, which was, you know, relatively rare, really only for the, the creme de la crème of the recording industry. And it was uh, called Starship One, I think. And some of the features on that private jet were a fake fireplace. Uh, I'm quite relieved it was fake, I think, because I don't see an open fireplace and a private jet being a good combination. Uh, but, you know, we'll gloss over that. I wonder if it had a mantelpiece. Anyway, um, so fake fireplace, a Hammond organ, which uh, Stevie Wonder occasionally played and played Happy Birthday to him at one point. Um, but it also had a, a video recorder, which in, you know, in the 70s was quite swank. Uh, and at one point, um, Elton John's mum, uh, who was very supportive of his career and had really driven him to, to performance and to, to art in general and culture, uh, was discovered sitting in front of this video recorder uh, watching Deep Throat. Um, which, uh, for the more innocent of our listeners, uh, is not uh, a, a documentary <laughs> about the Watergate scandal, uh, but is a, 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 a pseudo-documentary, shall we say, uh, with a, a sort of medical bent, I guess, um, about a woman yeah. who has some some interesting physiological differences from other women and how she is able to accommodate her lifestyle to those differences. Um, but yeah, apparently Elton's old mum was was sat there in front of Deep Throat well, you say old, but she was probably our age, realistically. Yeah, well, not she'll have been older than you, but probably not older than me. Yeah, but um, it, it it is scary getting to the age where you think you could be sitting here looking at Elton John and thinking, that's my boy. Um, I mean, I couldn't, obviously, because of various <laughs> reasons. But yeah, yeah, it's scary, really. Um, should, we, should we start with... Um, should we start with Riley? Why not? Why not? Let's let's start with the big lad. Yeah. Um, I must say, I did enjoy the way your voice dropped by about five degrees in temperature when you spoke his name at first. That was very, very <laughs> nice work. I, my issues with, with Riley are, are vast and varied. Um, I don't like to be put in a position where I have to say unkind things about a man who has a dog. Um, nor do I like to say unkind things about uh, veterans. If he is one, it's un he's ex-military, which doesn't necessarily mean He's seen any action that doesn't mean he's any less worthy of my uh, respect or admiration. To him seeing action, but uh... right. Um, the mind boggles, though. My my chief complaint about Riley is that uh, he treats women like garbage and sees himself as the nucleus around which they all must gather and, um, you know, pulsate and radiate. And it's, it's mostly this attitude 
And I think, and this has come up many, many times talking about Riley. So I'm not reinventing the Riley wheel here, but it's the fact that he had a negative experience in the past. And I get that being cheated on is horrible. I've been in that position and it is a terrible feeling, but I didn't expect the next person that I was in a relationship in to do that work for me in overcoming it. I think that's fair. Yes. (laughs) To be, I was going to say, to be fair, to be completely unfair to him, uh, it does sound as if the, the, the sort of, denouement of his partner's uh, infidelity did at least have the the value of comedy because it uh, wasn't her her lover actually hiding in a cupboard at some point or a wardrobe um so i think there was a bit of you know english country house <laughs> farce about it which is i was going to say <laughs> um, you know somebody's trousers will have fallen down a butler probably came in uh and and then somebody said wait a minute these aren't my pajamas and then it, it was all brilliant after that but you know Sometimes life sucks, uh, but it doesn't make him a good person or a bad person. It just makes him a person. Well, uh, right. It makes him a person. I think he makes himself a bad person. Again, I really, I wanted to root for him in the beginning. Um, Representation on this show is very important. Um, if for no other reason, then it gets pretty dull watching the same mediocre Midwestern men, um, heading on over to warmer climes to, uh, exploit impoverished women under desperate conditions. That, that's less fun to watch than somebody from a different background with an interesting story. Unfortunately, Riley is just a sex tourist um, and a mean and self-centered one at that. Um, He's with his friend who is like a sister, but not really a sister to him. I think she just really enjoys being on TV Um, I, I don't, uh, think about her often enough that I want her to have a name. So I'm just happy for her to be a relevant woman who obviously doesn't know him that well. Um, or if she does, she has. Do we think he thinks of her not as a sister because he wants to bang her? Is that what's going on? And so he doesn't want to create that unfortunate connection in his mind? I think she, uh, yeah, maybe. I mean, I think she's married to someone else or in a relationship with someone else, but I, I really strongly dislike the strength of her hostility towards someone that she's never met and her, and her presumption that she can treat this person that she's never met like garbage um for reasons that feel very xenophobic to me um and even if they weren't i hate anyone who thinks that they're i i I shouldn't say i hate any i hate watching anyone who thinks that they're 
contributing something to the conversation or contributing to the to the drama even in a in an interesting or unique way by saying oh this person is like a brother to me so i'm going to defend them and i and i'm going to stick my neck out for them it's like well no you're starting a very predictable fight that we've seen a million times before and you're not even being funny or clever while doing it you're just being an asshole and I think, you know, in this country anyway, if we learned anything recently, it's that you can like and admire somebody, but you don't have to defend them if they've possibly done something bad. You don't have to, but so many people have chosen to, which is very interesting. A lot of people, it, this, it's, it's a relatively new thing in here in, in this country, in the UK, um, compared to America, which is interesting because America is a much younger country, obviously. I think Americans have always felt the need to insert themselves into conversations where their views are neither welcome nor um, given much weight or consideration. Uh, in the UK, it's it's a relatively novel experiment. Now, of course, the person that, that you're talking about is Russell Brand and that this is very much, you know, the war at home, um, the war being, uh, putting criminals, I guess, behind bars and stopping serial, um, rapists, you know, if, if that is indeed the case, this is all alleged, but which I just, just the idea that because you agree with somebody and because you may think, uh, rightly or not, that they are exposers of truth and uh, dispellers of deceit, it doesn't necessarily mean that they are incapable of being bad people. They are incapable. They're as capable of being good or bad as anyone else. It just doesn't mean that you have to rush their defence without even listening to any evidence uh, because they're on your team. I think that's my problem. That's right. I and I have a similar problem and I and as you know because we've you and I have talked about it a lot what I fear more than anything is the death of nuance in any conversation. If and to that point or to your earlier point what have we learned in the past sort of 10 12 years of of me too we've learned that these are smooth operators who commit these crimes in plain sight and the reason they're able to do it is because they are charming funny disarming loyal um talented interesting all of those things and if they weren't they wouldn't have gotten away with it if if everyone who is a sexual predator, you know, acted like a sexual predator, then this wouldn't be a problem and there wouldn't be cover-ups and it wouldn't be so hard to prove it. By the way, for those who are interested, um, our uh, legal system here in the UK, the, the reason why this took so long, and not that I even think that this line of, of rationalization is necessary because 
there are lots of reasons why women don't come forward or men don't come forward or gender non-conforming people don't come forward. There's lots of reasons why victims of any kind don't come out. But here in the UK, you can take out, if you have the means, and it does cost a lot of money, you can take out what's called a super injunction and you can stop people that you work with from saying things about you in the press. We have very strict laws against defamation, which is libel or slander in this country. It's not the same as it is in the UK. And in my opinion, it needs to change. And I think I'm right in saying that if you have a super injunction, it means that nobody can even refer to the injunction that itself, it, its very That's existence correct. Is, is covered by an injunction, as it were. So it's kind of injunction yes, that's on an right. injunction. Mm-hmm. So even if somebody went to a trusted media outlet or or a close friend or whomever, they wouldn't be able to say that the the reason they couldn't name the individual involved is because there's a super injunction. So it's, yeah, it protects predators and people who do terrible things. And Elliot and I both having worked in public relations, um, I've never been part of a super injunction, but I have certainly worked with people who are, yeah, worked with clients, let's say, uh, who were. So it's very sinister and it's one of the reasons I got out. And I will offer a, a free bit of uh, reputation management advice to your listeners, which is that super injunctions never work because it always comes out in the end because of different legal jurisdictions and, uh, you know, various things. I mean, there is an old Yiddish saying that, uh, you know, two people can keep a secret as long as one of them's dead. And that's largely true, I think, in, in public life as well as in private life. Um, super injunctions just don't work forever. Uh, and of course, we had the, the example in this country, Ryan Giggs, a few years ago, where uh, the injunction applied to England, but not to Scotland. And, and so you had, you know, newspapers being published in, in different parts of, of Britain, and it was just a mess. So there's a, a top tip for your listeners. If they ever feel like uh, applying for a super injunction, don't bother. It won't work in the long run. Also, um, don't be a sexual predator. That, that is a much easier way. Yes. Yeah. That is, yes. Um, so uh, I will make a note to put a trigger warning on that part of the conversation, just in case that th- there are folks who are um, understandably affected by by that content. That's not saying that it's not okay to bring it up because we could talk about whatever we like, but obviously we have some, some sensitive listeners. So anyway, um, look, the the root of the root and the bud of the bud and the bud that came as a result of the rooting possibly is, um, that Violet is pregnant, maybe pregnant. Um, my general policy is that if someone says that they are pregnant, you should probably believe them. Um, Up but to point. <laughs> um i mean it could be a it could be uh not hysterical pregnancy that's not the word for it is it phantom pregnancy it could be yes yeah yeah i I mean as you say 
the vast majority of people who say under any circumstances, I'm pregnant, will be pregnant, or at least will believe they're pregnant, whatever the, mm-hmm. the physiological condition. I think the odds shift in the case of Riley and Violet because of their particular circumstances, uh, because he lives in America, she lives in Vietnam, because they have quite a complicated relationship dynamic, I think it's fair to say. Uh, yeah. And because yeah. I think, you know, this is literally my second episode of the series, so what the hell do I know? But Violet doesn't seem the first person I'd go to if somebody says, do you know somebody who's really stable and can be trusted? She would be <laughs> top of the list is what I'm saying. She'd be like three or four if, if the whole list numbered three or four. I, it's very hard for me to get a read on Violet. Um, I don't, again, I, it, this is not an area where I'm comfortable casting doubt or aspersions. I think whatever has happened has happened. Maybe she was pregnant at one time and is no longer pregnant um, who knows what happened? What I am confused about, and I don't not believe it, but I'm just trying to think of what what medication could one be on that would affect the ability to, is it affecting the ability to ejaculate? Is it affecting the quality of the sperm? I Did you... Did any of that I, make any sense to you? The the impression I got, and I hadn't really thought about it until you mentioned it, is that it was about the uh, the efficacy of his. I can't believe I'm saying it. The the efficacy of Riley's ejaculate, I think, is is what's been compromised here. I didn't get the impression that its uh, its appearance or its volume was in any way different. But then maybe it was. I don't know what its baseline <laughs> is. I should stress that. Um, I don't know if it is the old 10cc thing, uh, but um, he did stress that several times. What I found interesting was that he said, oh, you know, they, they told me it was like a, a one in a hundred chance. You think, and maybe this is the one. Because sure. he was saying, you know, oh, it can't happen, it can't happen. But but you just said it, it's unlikely. That's not the same as as it can never happen. What you're telling me is, oh, I went to Vietnam and had unprotected sex with a woman, and now I can't believe she's pregnant. You're thinking, I can? Um, I, I, I kind of know how it works? Sure, in theory. And, and to be clear, you know, I can... Playing... Playing Riley's advocate... Um, I can see how there might be some doubts there. Um, Violet is of what is medically termed to be uh, of advanced maternal age, meaning she's over the age of 35. Again, another thing we need to do away with forever, please, this idea of of uh advanced maternal age or geriatric pregnancy um yes geriatric was was quite recently only dropped wasn't it for over 35 i remember my sister saying that you know, my sister's just had a, a baby and she's 32 33 and she's saying if she leaves it much longer she would be a geriatric pregnancy and she did not look happy about that because i don't think it's i don't think geriatric is really a, a word that any woman in her early 30s welcomes i think that's fair to say 
No, um, I don't think any woman at all, Elliot, welcomes the word geriatric unless it's, um, you know, this geriatric um, man wants to marry you and um, sign away his million billion dollar empire. Well, for sure. I, can and, see, uh... I can see that the sentence, <laughs> uh, you know, this billionaire wants to marry you is a sentence into which you might want to insert the word geriatric. That that could work. <laughs> I, think, I think applied to to a woman of any circumstances, uh, it's it would not be my first choice. All right. Shall we move on to your favorite, Elliot, Amanda and Razvan? Oh, yes, yes. <sighs> I mean, where does one start? Um, I, I I don't think I've really recovered from Daddy's box. Let's put it that way. Um, I don't think anyone's recovered from Daddy's no, box. No, um, I was explaining it to somebody today, and and I sort of even hearing about it once you become desensitized a little bit because you say it and then you you hear the words coming out of your mouth and you realize that you've just told someone that there is a woman who is a widow whose young children sleep with a box which has their incinerated father in it and that this is not only tolerated but promoted as a good thing and that it's called Daddy's Box. So, yeah, I'm, I'm still not over that. But I should say that I know you were not a fan of Amanda, particularly, uh, and I had perhaps been initially less critical than I should have been for superficial <laughs> cosmetic reasons. Um, I will say, having been exposed to her twice uh, in a purely metaphorical sense, uh, she does look like a bit of a nightmare. Yeah. I think that's generous. Um, she is throwing out all the stops. I don't know at what point... Um, I mean, she must have recognized that the power dynamic shifted and now she's desperate to have it back. I think also she knows that she is never going to get an opportunity like this again because she might be able to find a handsome man. She might be able to find a kind man. She is not going to find both of those things in one person who will also tolerate her frankly bullshit. predatory yeah predatory creepy bullshitty ways um so she buys him a bunch of tat uh talks to him in a baby voice uh she's pulling out all the stops here um I did have to say, I warned to Radvan a little bit when they were sitting by that lake having their meal, and he said, oh, would you like some wine? Because I know that you and wine are, massive Paul's, friends. I thought, oh, you bitch, but I love you. I thought that was great. He is wonderful, and I, I really, really didn't like him in the beginning. They've done a masterful job, they being the producers um, and the story editors, of making you think that he was going to be the bad guy and then proving you wrong and making 
you, you meaning me, examine your own, um, you know, misconceptions about people who earn money on social media and things like that. I don't, I don't, to be clear, I don't have a problem with influencers or influencing as a way of making money. I think anything that you can monetize, that's fantastic, particularly, you know, if you're an entrepreneur and you can support yourself, that's great. Um, it, I wouldn't feel comfortable dating someone who made money that way. I would find that extremely difficult. If for, if for no other reason than I, I really struggle with, even as a podcaster myself, with a moderate following of really loyal, really wonderful, beautiful, fantastic listeners who I love and whose devotion I'm grateful for every single morning when I wake up. I, I still am uncomfortable with the idea of somebody showing every aspect of their life and kind of giving that away. Does, does that make sense? I feel like if you're not holding anything back. Mm. Um, I think some people, maybe not all people, but some people would start to lose their sense of self slightly. If, if your livelihood, if your existence depends on full disclosure of everything you do, then it, it, it must become a little bit performative. You know, do you start to to second guess yourself and think, well, will I do this because this is what instinctively I would do, or will I do this because it, it will be good on my Instagram or whatever? Um, right. I mean, and if, do you think at some, oh God, I hate asking questions like this because I don't want to, I don't even want to breathe this into existence, but as there is currently research being done on, and I have no idea who is signing up for this or how this is in any way ethical, uh, to create sort of a seamless connection between the internet and the brain. I wonder how one would self-edit or curate any of their content if they're literally connected to the internet through their brain. I, I think we can all agree that it's a good thing that my brain isn't connected to the internet. Um, but I, I, <laughs> I think, you know, I'm very lucky in a way because, you know, I have a, a smallish following on Twitter, but it means that people do follow me. But it's demonstrated to me again and again that people clearly have no idea what I'm actually like because you occasionally get things like, oh, well, you're just a sort of lefty or whatever. And you think, have you met me? Um, because really, that's not me. Um, so it, it's almost comforting when people completely uh, falsely or wrongly analyse you. Uh, but, you know, I'm, I'm not in the position that an influencer is where, you know, your breakfast is part of your brand or whatever. Right. Um, and I think that there is a danger of of creating a brand which is yourself seamlessly, as you say, that without any kind of divisions. Um, so well, yeah, that's it, what... it, it must be difficult. Uh, and I, I think it, it must be difficult, but extremely easy not to realise it's difficult. And that's where the real danger lies, I think, if you don't realise that it's happening. 
that's what worries me so much about children. I mean, my, um, my son, Alfie, not his real name, um, as, as you well know, has grown up watching other kids on YouTube, uh, shill for toy companies and video games and, and all the rest. And I just, I, I worry about those kids. I don't know how that differs from child actors, which now there's a lot more awareness around uh, the fact that these are children and that maybe we ought to not uh, treat children the way that we treat adults. Um, But there's no, anyway, now I'm just being old man shouting at cloud, but yeah, I, I, those were the concerns that I had about Rosvan basically Um, that he didn't have any division between that. He was just this sort of soulless influencer type who just wants to be not, not wants to be an actor, but wants to be a celebrity, wants to be famous, wants to be a movie star. So let less caring about, you know, what the, whether the acting component is really, but I see now he's just, you know, he's been raised by a really lovely caring family with with good values and uh i'm just gonna come out and say it she does not deserve him (laughs) because whatever she's going through and again going through bereavement myself i'm not gonna grief shame anyone or say that there's any one way that somebody needs to deal with death i'm pretty sure um it's not a healthy or good thing for anyone to leave their young children for three straight weeks as their only surviving parents uh, to bang someone they've never met in uh, Romania. So anyway, we always talk about, Oh, you know, there's, there's no, there's no one way to get through grief and everybody has their own coping mechanisms. That doesn't mean they're all, all right, some of them are not a good idea. Uh, you know, we talked about uh, Queen Juana of Castile last time I was on, um, and, you know, th- there are various ways of coping with with grief and with loss of a partner or, or child or spouse or whatever, and some of them are clearly not going to help you get over it. And I would have thought, you know, that, that keeping your husband in a box is not a good idea. I do wonder, that. do you think Radvan ever thinks, is there a box for me? Am I next? You know, some theories have been floated that uh, are not um, not far off from what you're suggesting. I I certainly can't comment on whether, uh, in the words of one of our listeners, she's a stair pusher or not. Um, I I wouldn't put it past her. Um, I, for one, was horrified when she said to the, to the server, uh, I'll have a glass of wine and I want a salad. It's a small point of order. It's a small thing, but it really bothers me. I think there's a, there's a huge 
capacity to judge somebody's character by the way that they treat not just waiting staff, but I mean, waiting staff in particular, but as a representative of people who can't answer back, people over whom you have power. And I think the way that people treat people over whom they have power, people who can't answer back, is hugely illustrative of their wider character. I think people who are rude to waiters or waitresses, 95% of the time, are dreadful people. Um, With the exception of my mother, who is delightful uh, and is getting better at that. Yeah, she is. She is often very rude to waitstaff. But, you know, again, let's not grief shame anyone. Achilles Um, has his heel. Your mother has waitstaff, you know. There you go. Well, her explanation is that I'm not going to go into that. She'd be annoyed with me. Anyway, um, my mother worked very hard her whole life and, uh, she's done a lot for me and for other people. And she cares. She's a wonderful person who cares deeply about everyone in her life. And I'm not going to begrudge her a few minor character flaws. Um, so Amanda presents her uh, presents Rosvan with a letter or a card um that uh she has clearly taken you know entire minutes to write um I did transcribe it uh so that we can pick it apart um, I'm, my theory is that she wrote this all down, uh, so that she wouldn't have to say it face to face because she didn't think that she could sell it. But again, that might be my filter. So, uh, Rosvan, these last three weeks, three weeks with you have been crazy, but also some of the best time of my life. You mean so much to me, and I don't want to go one day in this life without you. You are my soulmate, my protector, my knight in shining armor, my one true love. I will do anything for you and us. I am sorry for everything I've done. I love you. What, what what do you make of that? Well, there's a few things in there, uh, aren't there? Firstly, I think any kind of declaration of, of your adoration for somebody generally shouldn't contain the word but anywhere in it. Um, so, you know, uh, the, these few weeks have been crazy, but you think, mm, really? Okay. Um, she'll do anything. Does that include pushing people down the stairs? We don't know. Um uh, she she doesn't it's interesting at least she didn't say i don't want to spend a day of your life without you um so that that that's comforting um you know i i'm, I'm possibly overanalyzing this because i'm a writer and it, it, it's what i do and you know words words mean stuff and and, and they're important but those bits which can i positive, quote you on that because i i really so, like yes. that Words do mean stuff and they are important. And I think, I think people tend to forget that I'm a great lover of words myself. So I do appreciate that, which is why I, 
which is why I find this so offensive. Because to me, this is this is worse than. Um, and I I posted my thought about this in the Facebook group, but this is worse than those pre-written greeting cards that you find, you know, at the at your local pharmacy uh, on Valentine's Day at. 9 59 p.m. where the only thing left are the cards with like photos as photos of you know black and white photos of small children dressed in oversized old-timey clothes for some reason and or they're two just tortoises cuddling randomly yeah yes yeah yeah no, I, I thought something very similar the, the the good the sort of positive bits of what she said sounded very trite and very pre-formatted, like you would find in a very bad greetings card. And it was then as if she had put in linking passages, which were much less positive, but much more demonstrative of her own psyche. So I think that was where the but, you know, um, bits came in. And uh, yeah, it, 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 it was uneven and slightly sinister, I thought. Um, I mean, you know... Some people are not good with words. It's not their forte. It's not their the format in which they shine, and that's fine. It's it's you know nobody has. There are no universal talents. Um, so maybe that's just not she's good with words because she's been too busy pushing people downstairs all the time. She hasn't had time to practice. I don't know. Um, but it, it was yeah, it was a bit. Uh, it did it didn't make you feel warm inside. No, um, and and for me, it's this sort of. You know, Natasha Henstridge in Species kind of blank stare that she gives where uh, you get the sense that after she's done um, having carnal knowledge of him that that she might bite his head off. In fact, um, those bits afterwards literally. I've not seen, so... <laughs> Um, but look, you never know, uh, treat him mean, keep him keen, right? Um, love conquers all, they say, but I, you know, sometimes the odds are stacked against it. I don't want to gloss over about the fact that all of a sudden, you know, after having serious reservations about him coming to the U.S. now, she's all for it. Um, or that his penis's name is Billy. I think that's a yes. fine name for a penis, actually. It doesn't bother me. Uh, Willie, I struggle with. I, I was once in a I was once in a group therapy session many, many years ago. And uh and a, an older gentleman stood up and he said, Hello, my name is Willie. And I couldn't stop laughing and I was asked to leave understandably. Um, and I'm not saying that it was okay. I'm just saying that's a, that's a difficult one for me. Yeah. I, I think that's right. I mean, I don't know. Billy is a, well, I was going to say it's a bit over familiar, but maybe that's not the approach. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I have to say in, in terms of, of diminutives, not diminutives in terms of, <laughs> Informal words for for the male organ. I do like the American use of the word Johnson. I think that's a very good one. 
Um, partly, I suppose, because of that line in in, hand, in Top Gun where somebody is looking at the 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 trophy board um, and talking about who's been through Top Gun, and one of them says, "Oh, you know, the list is long and distinguished," and somebody else says, "Yeah, so is my Johnson." Uh, and I think that's a very very good line. Um, but no, Billy is. I don't know. Billy just makes me think goat, uh, which is is maybe not great. Mm. I mean, I'm not suggesting that you call it like Sir Duke or something. That would be bad. Um, why have a name for no. it? Does he talk about Billy to other people? Does he introduce Billy? Um, I don't know. Is it like his friend, but definitely not imaginary? Sometimes considerably less imaginary than other times. I I just find it all a bit bewildering, really. Although I did, I also particularly enjoyed the uh, the bit where she was. They were sitting at, di- at dinner by that very charming lakeside scene, and she was encouraging him and saying, "You know, are you going to miss my cuddles?" And he went, "Yes, yes, yes. Are you going to miss my kisses? Yes, yes. Are you going to miss anything else?" And he, his face right. was sort of stricken, and you think, "Don't make him say that. Don't make him." say that Billy will miss I don't know, no, but, Pizza Hut or whatever but, she calls it but he uh, he was all for it um, I'm just not, I'm not a person who thinks that genitalia really needs its own separate identity that bothers me um, I mean, again, no, no shame in whatever anybody else wants to do. I prefer, you know, the clinical kind of terminology, which I understand is less sexy, but you know, I think vagina is fine. I don't have a, I don't have a problem with that. It, it's, it's the whole personhood of a, of a penis that worries me this idea that it's this separate entity with needs and and wants and desires and a personality that's independent of its owner that worries me i think although having said that i think calling it billy is better than calling it like rosvon jr or whatever yes yes or you know the destroyer or something like that. I think it's interesting though, isn't it? Because it's not something we do to any other part of the body. You don't give give your feet names. Uh, You don't, you don't name your finger. I mean, maybe, maybe you do. I don't know. I'm not judging listeners. I'm not judging, but I can't think of any other part of the body, which we would name and create a sort of pseudo independence for. Maybe it's a kind of, getting in before the act and saying, oh, it wasn't me, it was just Billy. Um, but I don't know. It's just all very odd. That's even worse. Can you imagine if, I mean, I, I'm i pretty confident Russell Brand has a name for his penis. Can you imagine oh, for if sure, for sure. he tried to make an argument that... And it's probably, it's, it's going to be called Captain Jack or something, isn't it? I mean, it's just... It's probably like Charlemagne or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Probably not Louis the Fat. No, no. Um... Hi. 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Anyway, let's dispense with penis talk altogether or suspend it for the moment and talk about Statler and Dempsey. Talk to me about first impressions, thoughts, feelings. Yes, because I hadn't seen you hadn't seen them uh, before, no. had you? No, they 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 were new to me, and they both seemed very nice. Um, it took me a little while to work out. Well, firstly, I should say I had a slight barrier at the fact that she was called Statler, because Statler to me means one of the old men in the Muppets in the balcony shouting, "Boo! Here's rubbish!" Um, and Statler and Waldorf are very very important parts of my childhood, and indeed, I dare say, my psyche. But um, they seem very nice. I, I I wasn't quite clear at first about Dempsey's static caravan, is it? She has some kind of living arrangement which seems not to include hot water or Wi-Fi or possibly a flushing toilet. Right. So she she lives on what appears to be, for all intents and purposes, um, an Airbnb... Uh, type scenario where you can rent little static units. I presume the guest accommodation. So I think it's a, I think it's like a wedding venue or event venue slash campsite slash. Um, yeah. Uh, one of those spots where you can like, you know, rent a little cottage and I guess do camping or farming activities nearby. But her domicile does not currently have hot water or um, a toilet that one can do number twos in, which would present a serious issue for for uh, someone like like myself. Yeah, oh, definitely. No, because when Statler at first was saying, you know, oh, maybe I'll miss the Wi-Fi and the hot water and stuff, I was thinking, we do have those in Britain. You know, I know it's, you know, we, we may take a little while to catch up with some of the mod cons, but we have got Wi-Fi and indeed flushing toilets. But then I realised that there was some kind of special nature to, to the living arrangements. It wasn't just that she thought we didn't have those in Britain at all. Um, no, they seem very nice. I was a bit worried for them 
because I think the, their first appearance in this episode, they were having a fight about whether or not they were going to have children, which is a you know a massive issue. Um, and it it struck me firstly as odd that this seemed to have come as a surprise to at least Statler and possibly Dempsey. I don't know that that it was a kind of done deal on somebody's part that they didn't want children. I think Statler doesn't, and um, that that might create problems. And you know, what's going to be an insuperable barrier? Um, because it is very difficult. It's a huge issue. I mean, it's one of those issues in a relationship which often I think you can't really resolve because it's a sort of binary choice. You either want kids or you don't. And at best, probably one of you is going to be persuaded out of your preference, which I think is is potentially difficult. Um, Right. And and what you may have missed... um, from the previous episode is that, uh, and also because you're, you're meeting her for the first time is that Statler has a lot of trauma that she's still working through that has arisen from the fact that she's adopted herself. And so it's, it's not simply that she's ambivalent or pretty sure that she doesn't want to have children. It, it's also the fact that that discussion in and of itself is quite triggering for her. And because she is uh, like yours truly neurodivergent um, in stressful situations like that, when, when one gets dysregulated and again, I can't speak for all neurodivergent people, but I, I can speak for myself and I understand that this is a common experience Sometimes you can have uh, a discussion where um, it becomes kind of an all or nothing thing. And the intensity of the discussion itself um, really, really requires that the other person, as particularly if they're your partner, understands that in that moment, what you need is to... Uh, ground yourself and be comforted and and kind of get back down to earth rather than ratcheting up the discussion and amplifying it and making it 20 times worse. Because Statler's core fear is rejection and abandonment. So to feel rejected and abandoned over being ambivalent about having children, I think is... Uh, is really upsetting. Um, and I'm not saying that Dempsey understands that or appreciate that appreciates that that's what she's doing, but I would have, I would have preferred that Dempsey had focused on the woman that she's with and not the hypothetical children that she may or may not end up having because they're both very young. I mean, uh, Statler's early thirties and Dempsey is late twenties. There's, there's plenty of time. It's not like, you know, it's not that pressing an issue. No, they've got two or three years until it's a geriatric pregnancy. So it's fine. Um, No, I, I, the one thing I will say is that I didn't think either of them was fundamentally a bad person. And that sounds like damning by faint praise, but, you know, given my attitude to most people I meet, that's extremely high praise. Um, I thought they were both 
perfectly well-intentioned, very warm, generous people um, who genuinely, I think, wanted to be together. I just worried that there were issues which I don't know if they hadn't addressed or if they weren't going to be able to to get over or if they were minimising the importance of... Um, the, the, the relationship seemed to me to depend on a lot of hope and goodwill and, you know, seeing the best in, in every situation and, oh, we can get over this and all that kind of stuff. And that, I think, was 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 a bit worrying. Um, but, you know, I wish them all the best. They're, they seem very, very sweet people. So fingers crossed that they do find some bridge to, to happiness, uh, maybe with a flushing toilet as well. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, I, ideally, the, the, the toilet would be, would present, a problem for me. I, I also think that they're just very, very different people. And even though they have, uh, they certainly have a chemistry that's very obvious there. Um, I'm not sure that they are the, that they are each other's, uh, best partner do you know what i mean um yeah yeah there's just a lot of yeah not that that, not that you would necessarily get that from one episode but i appreciate that you picked up that yes it's sure it is damning with faint praise but also um compared to (laughs) compared to some of the other couples here it is it's quite disheartening you know, when you have two people who are genuinely in it for sharing their story and their love and being together. And again, representation really, really matters in shows like this. And I can't help but worry anytime that there is a, a an untraditional pairing or a pairing that we don't see as often. Um, be that a same-sex couple or an, an interracial couple or, um, you know, a couple where one person is disabled and the other person isn't. You know, the representation is really important. And my fear always is that on some level there's a, there's a producer or a, a network um head who is saying oh well we already had a lesbian couple and it didn't work out do you know what i mean whereas yeah they'll line up an interminable amount of dull awful white men um forever and ever because that's the formula that works but actually the big reward with watching these series is getting to is getting to meet different people and seeing couples who have unique challenges. And, and I think love really is at the heart of it all. And it, it, and it is so rewarding when it does work out. Um, I think there was a clip where they were in, in bed and, and one of them, I can't remember which way around it was, one of them said, Oh, they just wanted to stay there and cuddle forever. I thought that genuinely seemed unforced and natural and representative of, of their relationship at its best. Um, and given some of the unspeakable, monstrous dicks who appear on this show, um, it, it was <laughs> it, it was a very sort of heartwarming moment. Um, 
Um, and speaking of, uh, I know you, I know how much you love um, Christian and Cleo. We did get a fully loaded episode. We did get quite a, a few people, so I'm just I'm yeah I'm aware we've got we've got loads to get through. So this was really sad. Um, and not just, and, and to be clear, everyone, I'm, I'm not angry. Uh, I, I don't hate Christian. I really don't like his behavior and the way that he qualifies everything that he does and his desperate need to be liked all of those things I find really loathsome. And I know that last week I went off um, and I told, and I still, I stand by everything I said. There's not a, a woman on this earth who owes Christian anything, not even his mother, much less some poor woman in a bar trying to enjoy herself that he feels he has to inflict himself and his opinion on or whoever he's sitting next to on a plane, um, whatever the situation may be, please excuse the sound disruption. There is a pug, uh, getting in on the pod. Uh, no, what I'm most upset with him about is his desecration of Casablanca, which is one of my favorite films of all time yes that was painful to watch um painful for me should have been painful for him in a really quite brutally physical way um agreed i I think for me the problem is that you can see that that cleo is is i was going to say very committed to the relationship very committed to having a relationship I think she really wants to be with someone. Maybe she wants to be with Christian. I would really advise strongly against it, but, you know, uh, different people will have different opinions. And he is clearly, well, I mean, the, the massive douchebag, obviously, um, that goes without saying. Uh, you can tell by the fact that he's always wearing a beanie hat. Uh, and you think, mate, no one, and I mean no one, thinks, I bet he's got a full head of hair under there. I bet he's in no way bald. Right? It's um, yeah. That's what you always think when you see men who always wear hats. You think they're probably just hiding their full shock of of thick, lustrous hair. Um, of course. But you know he is he is going to disappoint her and make her anxious and unhappy again, and again, and again, because the things he does, which are in his nature, are what are causing her to be unhappy and anxious and and disappointed. That is not going to change. Um, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And, and I would, I was watching this thinking, why isn't he, and now I understand it's, it's expecting too much for him to have the, the maturity and the selflessness and the respect for Cleo to say, you know what? I don't think I can give you what you need. And uh, this flirting thing is part of who I am. And it's not something that I want to feel bad about. 
or in my opinion, I shouldn't feel bad about it, even though the fact that I feel bad about it should give me some indication that it's maybe not other people's fault that I feel bad about it, that I am actually doing something that I believe to be wrong. Uh, but aside from all that, um, this is not a relationship that can be sustained because I don't know if my family can quote, come to terms with who you are, unquote. Uh, and I'm not at a stage in my life where I can, I can deal with something like that. I, that's a bridge too far. I totally get that. I completely understand it. Why can't he, if he can't do that, why can't he white fang her? Why can't he make himself so repugnant that he frightens her off? That's what I don't get. Maybe he's trying. I mean, he is pretty repugnant and, and repulsive. Um, but <laughs> That's true. That's true. I hadn't thought of that. I mean, the problem is, for him to do the decent thing, he would have to be a different person. And if he was a different person, he wouldn't need to do the decent thing because it would all be different. It, it's, it's, it's a catch-22, isn't it? Um, there are so many levels. I mean, his his constant sort of flirting with other women or talking to other women, whatever the context is, demonstrates, on the one hand, I think it's a fundamental neediness on his part, which is fine, we're all needy at times, but it also, I think, demonstrates a very high opinion of himself, that he thinks, there's a woman alone at a bar, her life will be improved immeasurably by my company. And you think, it really won't. Um, it would be improved more by an aneurysm right now, because at least then she wouldn't need to talk to you. Um <laughs> absolutely bargain basement he could at least not tell cleo about it i mean i know deceit is not a good basis for a relationship all that kind of stuff but at least he doesn't need to tell her but he seems to do that because he thinks maybe he thinks it's okay or maybe he thinks it's not okay but by telling her he makes it okay it's like, oh I'm, I'm just being honest yeah you know i'm not i don't want to deceive you yeah but that's about you really rather than her isn't it um but it, it comes back to the hat, really. Oh, and also his tiny, tiny neck. Very small. 14 um, and a half, wasn't it? Size of a newborn kitten's neck. Delicate. I mean, on the upside, um, you don't pay VAT on your clothes, but... Yeah. Sure. Uh, for those of you who don't know, that's... Um, that's sales. Well, what is VAT? It's not just, is it just sales tax? Yes. Yeah, it's a, we don't have to tax. go to the ins and outs. No. Yeah. It, 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 the point is you don't pay it on children's clothes. Right. Um, having said all of that, I don't think I, I can see that Cleo is very upset. I can't help but wonder if she is mourning the idea of what this relationship could have been rather than the relationship itself. I was very guilty of that as, as a woman in my 20s in particular. I would have really big, huge feelings for someone who could not care less about me. And I would build, you know, all these fantasies in my head of what could have been, but I was ignoring the fact that in order for those things 
to happen, the other party would A, need to be interested in me beyond the odd roll in the hay, and B, um, you know, that person would have to be a totally different. And so I wonder if this is, you know, something that is very romantic in theory, really horrible in practice, and that Cleo's maybe not, and again, perhaps by, by virtue of, of her um, neurodiversity, maybe not quite checked in with the fact that the bad feelings aren't coming, aren't just disappointment. The bad feelings are this relationship not working and this not being a match for lots of reasons. I, I think there is a, a huge amount of, um, you know, what Graham Greene said in The Third Man, that we, we never grow accustomed to being less important to other people than they are to us. Um, but, you know, let's face it, 99% of the world's population would probably have an appreciably better experience if Christian were killed in a freak yachting accident. So at least then she could remember him as a hero who went down with the ship um, and that, that would be nice and she'd be free. Obviously his parents would be, you know, they'd have a bad couple of days, but um, you know, I jest slightly. But it, it's it's not going to work, is it, fundamentally? No. And it's not no, going to work because of, of who he is, the way he is, and of because of, of some of the expectations and, and hopes and and aspirations and requirements that she has. Um, the two are incompatible, but he's also a douche. Maybe we can arrange for Amanda to push him down the stairs. Maybe uh, he has his own box in his future. This is although I, box. Although I dare say he has, or she has higher standards. Um, not for herself, but for the people that she dates. Uh, now I'm going to save the, the best and most fun for last. Um, I have to say, uh, I, I'm going to go to Gino and Jasmine here uh, via Canton, Michigan, uh, where Gino is giving you his best uh, Freddy Krueger's auntie outfit. Um, he's, decorated the room with Panamanian flags in eager anticipation of a, of a positive outcome. Jasmine's wearing a pink suit with heels that she can't walk in. Something I would not recommend if you're going to uh, a building where you're going to have to do lots of walking. I remember when I started volunteering at the Royal courts of justice, when I was in law school, I wore heels the first day and I, learned the hard way that 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 building is not the place to wear heels and also it, it seemed that getting there did not involve any kind of pavement at all no through grass verges i know this is you know one of the things i, I notice about the states being a, a british person is that in some places you're not as good at thinking about people might walk somewhere as opposed to might take the car and you know it's different societies different concepts of distance but she was basically walking alongside the highway in heels that looked uncomfortable and trousers that were just skimming the ground. And you thought, this is just, I mean, obviously this is this pales into insignificance compared to her, her greater issues, but this is not going to, to be a happy context for her next experience. No. Um, 
And I have to say, and this is not, this is not a popular take, but I, I feel I need to stick up for her because I completely understand what that feeling is like. And unless, honestly, unless you've been party to some bureaucratic, totally impersonal bullshit like that, as it, and when I say, I mean, it's impersonal, like it has nothing to do with you and what kind of person you are. And yet it affects your life in the biggest, grandest way. I I went through um, an administrative error that resulted in my, uh, back when I was on a student visa that resulted in my student visa being, um, being refused and I had to go to immigration court and I couldn't leave the country for a year or I wouldn't be allowed back in. And it was just, the whole thing was a nightmare. I was in pieces. I was so upset. Um, and it is a terrible, terrible, terrible thing to go through. And, um, does she have outsized reactions to things? Yes. Is it easy to mock? Yes, but I believed her in this moment, and I really did feel her pain. Um, Undoubtedly, I mean, you know, the, the cruelest way of the street. There's... Oh shit! Sorry, I muted you by accident. Uh, no, it's all right. Sorry, go ahead. I think you know the, the, the cruelest thing that the state can do to you is is the indifference of its bureaucracy. Um, you know, obviously, I've never served a life term. I've never been executed, but it, 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 just the the blankness, the the kind of um, insuperability of the problems, uh, and it, it, it's worse in a way now because you want to contact a real person, but an awful lot of interfaces, particularly in terms of state bureaucracy, are set up to be you know automatic or somehow automated or AI or whatever. And you think I just want to speak to a person. Because I can explain to a person what's happening in like two minutes, but to fill in a form or several forms will be several hours work and it won't understand and it won't have a box which applies by a particular situation. And it's incredibly frustrating. Um, and in my experience of immigration officials in a lot of countries, they do seem to pick the most sociopathic people to to put into those jobs. Um I don't think it's even necessarily that they pick the most sociopathic people. It's that the only people who can stay in jobs like that and live with themselves and sleep at night are sociopaths. Yeah, that could be it. That could be it. Yeah. It, so maybe you know, if you're mildly sociopathic and you do that kind of job, you're not going to get better, are you? Really? Um, I mean, it's going to exacerbate your your sociopathy. No. Um, I, the only thing is, and I'd I, like you, I, I wouldn't, I didn't feel particularly critical of her. I understood that it was very frustrating and that she was upset and, and you know, you, you pin your hopes on things like this. And even if you tell yourself, don't get excited, don't get excited. Um, you know, I remember once when I was, oh God, I must have been about 11 or 12 and I was in the hospital uh, with, with asthma. Um, I think it was 1992. No, 1988, because it was the Seoul Olympics which were on. So I must've been coming up. I was 10 uh, and I was in for a few days. And there was one day when the consultant was doing his rounds and I was going to find out whether they would let me go home or not. 
Um, and for some reason, I had convinced myself that they were going to let me go home. Um, and then they didn't because they said, oh, you'll, you'll probably need to stay another day. I remember even though I was only 10, being absolutely gutted. I was inconsolable. And I thought, but you, there was no reason to think necessarily you should have been able to go home. But you invest so much in this decision, which, of course, to the bureaucrat or the consultant or whatever, is a tiny part of their day. It's it's like, I've done 50 of these I, I can't spare the mental bandwidth to care very much, nor necessarily should they be able to. But for the person involved, right. it, it's that mismatch of of importance, a bit like, you know, Cleo and Christian in some ways. Um, so I understood entirely why she was upset. The only thing I would counsel gently is that if you are the sort of person who reacts very badly under that kind of stress, and different people deal with it in different ways, it's not a criticism, if you can keep just that, five percent of your mind to think i do need at least to ask what i do next or or what's happening or because the problem was when she came out and she was weeping over the phone to to hat boy um although he is he was he was asking he was asking the right questions he was saying so so what do you do next do you have your papers did they say yes or no or was it like go in provide more information and of course she had no idea because she she'd been too upset to to ask or to take in anything they may have told her, we don't know. Um, and so it must have been a bit frustrating for him because he must have been thinking, well, okay, I get you're upset, but but what do we do? Um, and, you know, as I've got older and had more experience of dealing with, with bad bureaucracy and with, with incompetent service of any kind, the thing I, I've picked up and, and learned to do is that, you know, you listen to the excuses or whatever that you're given, but you, you then say, okay, so what do we do now? Where do we go from here? How do we get to the next mm-hmm. Um, You know, I remember... We being, are where we are. Indeed. I remember being bumped from a flight from from Belfast once and uh, because they'd overbooked, as they do, and I think it's scandalous that airlines are allowed to do that, but, you know, that's not... I know. Oh, God, that makes me... I hate that. It's the only time it's ever happened to me, I think. But they said, oh, you know, we'll put you on standby, but you may not be able to fly today. And I said, well, okay, but you're responsible for getting me back to London. So how are you going to do that? Because it's not a me problem, it's a you problem. You've caused this. So how are you going to solve it? And unless you do that kind of thing, you are going to end up disappointed and upset and, and at least back where you started. And it must be very difficult for, for her and maybe even for, for Hatboy because you know maybe he genuinely wanted her to, to come to, where were, did you say Missouri somewhere or... Um, where was it? He was close, Michigan. Oh, Michigan, oh, well, Michigan. Different, different part of the country. I, I do know that much about American geography. Um, but yeah, it, it was difficult all round, and I think it it played to their weaknesses. Yeah, and he's not somebody. And I've said this before. He is not someone who is at all capable of validating her when she's upset. No. Which I think would just make a massive difference to how they interact and how, you know, they relate to each other. I really do think it would make all the difference, but he, for whatever reason, he can't or won't offer her that. I, 
I really think that's the primary issue in their relationship. It's so easy for her to blame herself, which is awful. And for him to blame her, um, and kind of further that narrative, uh, and let's not forget everyone. He did, uh, he did share nude videos and photos of her over the internet with someone else without her permission, which is a crime in many places. Um, and it destroyed her teaching career. So he's definitely the worst of the two. Again, not a popular take, but I'll leave it there. Um, really? It's not a I, popular take? He's obviously dreadful, I would have thought. Yeah, you know, people just, some people really don't like her, you know? Um, and I don't know. They can't, they, they either don't have sympathy for her or they can't extend their own compassion that far. And I totally get that. And, um, it's not a, it's not something that, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. The two things I, I don't know. Up, um, firstly, I mean, I, I genuinely do love the, the fact that when they argue, her response is to go nuclear and say, do you want to see a video of me fucking my ex? I mean, I love that. I genuinely do. Oh, sure. Yeah. That's, no, that's I am. Um, I'm here and, for that. Yeah. But I also did wonder, does he make all his friends wear hats just to make him feel okay? Because he'd given his, his, his little friend a hat with the Panamanian flag on it. Is it like, oh, God, the um, Gino's better wear a fucking hat. Jesus. Um, I think he's, I think it's just cold. You know, it's a cold weather thing. Um, because there's a, kind of, is, there, there's a kind of hat bro thing. I mean, there is a, a, a more, well, there is a more sophisticated and I, I would hope more, more elegant version of this. I have noticed as, as a hat wearer myself, though I should stress not in bed, never in bed, <laughs> not even as a joke. Because it doesn't go down. Oh, but I love the idea. See, in my head, <laughs> you you say you were a child in 1988. Um, I think that you are a, a time traveler of some description because I think your knowledge of previous eras of of British history is just is too good almost. Um, so I like to think that you have the full on sort of, uh, the night before Christmas, you know, sleeping cap and long sleeping shirt. And, and you've got like a sash at the window. I mean, I, I said I was a child. I didn't say I wasn't wearing a monocle. Um, <laughs> no, a I, I, I think, yes, yes. A long <laughs> um, no, I mean, hats are, are a great thing. Hats generally make men look smarter unless you're wearing a stupid hat, in which case, don't. Um, but there is a weird thing that if you're wearing a hat, because not many people do now, if you see another person wearing a hat, there is a sort of camaraderie. There's, you, you sort of look at... I remember walking down German Street wearing wearing a trilby, and there was another man, I, I will say, yes, a slightly older man, who may have been in his 80s or 90s, but we'll gloss over that, Um and he was wearing a hat as well. And as we passed, there was a sort of imperceptible nod and a sort of, yep, 
we're both we're both maintaining standards here. We don't say anything to each other. We barely need to make eye contact, but we both know that we're we're still flying the flag for all that is decent in this world by wearing hats. So there is that kind of hat kinship, but I think Gino's kind of hat wearing for a start is a kind of pathology rather than just a style choice, I think. Um, but I, I do wonder if 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 his friends sort of dread nights at Gino's because they know they're going to get a bucket hat out of the bin and, and put it on just to make him feel less of a freak than in fact he is. Yeah, I just, I, I don't get it because I, I, I suppose I don't know what the female equivalent is to hair law. I I guess I don't understand why men are so sensitive about going bald or thinning hair. I mean, the only reason I ever use it to insult someone like Christian or Gino is because they are obviously so obsessed with it. I don't really think it's that big of a deal. I think, you know, if you go bald early um it suits some people and not others um i don't really understand what the obsession is but um in the interest of time you know we 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 can we can table that for now um misha uh, misha yes. Yes, misha's distracted by a canary who would um elliot going out with nicola Elliot, how do you feel about this strategy of not buying the ring beforehand just in case she says no? Well, that is obviously the sign of a fundamentally cheap bastard, isn't it? I mean, um, <laughs> uh, you know, as, as somebody who has has given engagement rings and, and subsequently receive them back um it is not something that you have much cause for then to do and you think well that's a bit of a shame but this is one of life's vicissitudes you suck it up um even if as nicola did you you spin it as oh well i didn't want to get you something you didn't like seriously shopping for an engagement ring is actually one of the easiest things in the world you get a gold band with the biggest diamond you can reasonably afford. No shame on small diamonds, that's absolutely fine, just whatever is, it fits your pocket. But if you're saying, oh, I didn't know what you would like, you're basically saying, I don't know you at all. Uh, But more than that, I have no interest in knowing anything about you. Uh, But let's get married anyway. But this this piece of jewellery is is of so little significance to me aesthetically that I thought I may as well just let you choose it. In fact, just give her the money. I mean, that's what it comes down to, isn't it? Um, it's... And even then, I mean, <sighs> I, I I felt like I needed the music from Curb Your Enthusiasm underscoring all of this. It, it uh, once again, are are we in some kind of? Are we in a farce? There's no ring, he says, and you said I'm not romantic. Yes, the romantic thing to do is to propose to someone, um, like I said to you, a a, a meter away from a T-shirt that says just just Jew it 
on it and uh, other, you know, borderline offensive puns to do with with Israel. I didn't yeah. see the the full thing, but um, yeah, I mean, I could think of it now. I've never. Have you been to Israel? I've never been. I have. Yes. Yeah. I mean, th- basically, he stops halfway down a passage in a shopping street in Jerusalem, 200 metres, as he did say, from the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, well, where our Lord Jesus did rest very briefly before uh, before moving on. Uh, he had different living arrangements. Whoa, but, whoa, whoa, whoa. Not our Lord Jesus. Their Lord. Um, Other people's well, Lord Jesus. Well, probably the world's most successful Jew, though. Um, arguably, but yeah, sure. he, he stops in the middle of the shopping street and then you know gets down on one knee. And I, yeah, there was a part of me which thinks, "Oh, I hope you can get up again. I really do at your age." Um, but <laughs> it, it wasn't a hugely romantic setting, and merely saying romantic and saying how romantic it is does not, in fact, make it so. In fact, arguably, it makes it less so if you have to tell her how romantic it is. I did think it was very telling that when he said, "Oh, will you marry me?" or whatever it was, he said. There was a massive pause. I mean, a pause in which you could have played symphonies, where she was obviously thinking, oh, shit, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? Um, right? if, if you don't get an instant response, it's gone horribly wrong. I I mean, I could see that she was shocked. Um, I could see that she was confused. Um... I don't think that I think this came as a genuine surprise to her. Uh again, this relationship confuses me more than anyone. Um and listen, I I've done a lot of reading about uh various various forms of mysticism and Catholic mysticism is some of the most compelling uh reading I've ever read and 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 some of the most erotic. I mean there is a a passage somewhere in the Bible that is basically I actually I don't know that it's in the Bible. Maybe it's in a gospel somewhere. I look, I don't know, okay? I read it in a book that was obviously not something that the church was was handing out. Um if but, you just look at Bernini's statue of uh, St. Teresa of Avila being pierced by the Holy Spirit, I mean, her ecstasy is, is clearly of a, a, a very, very sexual nature, or pseudo-sexual, I thought. Yes, and, and this has been written about, it. I mean, I'm fascinated, and I think you and I have this in common, I'm fascinated by theology in general. Um, our our listeners will know that I'm uh, I'm Jewish now. I was not born... Jewish, um, but it is, you know, my, my religion of choice rather than my, my spiritual tradition of, of origin. But I, I, I appreciate, you know, Sufism, all of that. This podcast is not about my religion, but I, and I am going somewhere with this, which is that I wonder if, I wonder if Misha has had the ecstatic experience of uh, connecting with the Holy Spirit 
um, and that Nicola is the conduit for that and that she maybe feels in some way that having a physical or sensual connection with him is, is again, a means through which she can get more of that. But I sort of feel like, I don't know, is this the right spiritual tradition for you, Misha? Because it sounds like your read on it is both extremely unforgiving and I, and, and I won't even go into the kind of, you know, views that they share about other humans and their rights uh, openly on, on social media. Um, let's not forget the, the current Pope, um, you know, has, has shaken things up considerably in terms of, um, in a, in a positive way in terms of accepting people into the church. Uh, I just, I, I don't know what to make of this. What, what do you think the, what do you think is really at the heart of this relationship? I think if, if, if Nicola really is her connection to the Holy Spirit, I think God is testing her beyond endurance. Um, <laughs> I think what I found very odd was that when she, I mean, I did wonder when he knelt down and, and was obviously contorting himself into a, a, a prenuptial pose, I did think she is thinking one of two things. She's either thinking shit just got real or possibly she's thinking, Father, Father, why hast thou forsaken me? Um, you know, why have I been put in this position where this 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 man who, to be fair, you know, we talked about representation, he is representing unattractive late middle-aged men with no personality. So that's great. They deserve representation too. Peace, brothers. Um, but I, I find it very odd that once they'd sort of, once she'd managed to force out a yes, because clearly if, if she didn't, she was going to spend eternity in his Free, freezer. Um, they were sitting in the car and he said he didn't want to come to America and live with her. Um, it was okay for a couple of weeks as he'd done in the past, but it, he wasn't going to do it permanently because that opened the door to the devil. And that made me think, aye, aye, this is going to be good. And he basically now doesn't think they should bang uh, because they're getting married, although they've been banging up till now. No, no, they haven't. No, she said, she they, said they had. She said, oh, it's all been fine till now. Yeah. That was why she was oh, so confused. I think, no, I don't think it's the banging. I think it's the, I think it's the living in sin, the, the shacking up, if you will. Oh, so when she says living in sin, she just means living in sin. Oh, I just Yes. Yeah. I, I don't think they have done the deed because in a, in a previous episode, he talks about his, um, non-existent by virtue of the fact that he again does not has not yet had carnal knowledge of of a woman um but he was pre-bragging about his sexual prowess um and when misha 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 mentioned that she may have a to teach him a thing or two probably based on the fact that the only time that we've seen something even close to a sort of, again, sensual interaction is when he was slapping mud on her body before they, uh, before they took a dip in the, in the Dead Sea. 
um, he he thinks that he's uh, he fancies himself to be um, you know uh, a pretty hot lover. I have to say, I think lesson number one is going to be where it goes, isn't it? I mean, I think they're going to have to yeah. start low and, and build up. I don't think we're talking, you know, um, hand restraints and feathers at this stage. I think we're we're, we're way no, but sophistication. but you know, what I don't understand is he can't even listen to her or allow her to speak when it comes to simple things. Um, I'm sure I don't need to tell you that, uh, I mean, look, I, I am the owner of, a of my own vagina and, and find that I occasionally have to give instructions and, uh, I, I have no problem with that, but I, you've seen many more than I have up close and personal. Um, it's not an exact science. It's a it's, it's a delicate no. art, and it, it's it's, um, a, it's a constant learning curve, right? Right. But I think you're right. When you you say owner of, it's a bit like a morning suit, isn't it? It's always better to own than to rent. <laughs> um, <laughs> but no, I oh god, I mean, just the idea of him. I get the impression he's going to sweat a lot. I mean, it's going to be pouring off him, isn't it? Even if it's if it's not particularly warm, I think just the the, the excitement of of the physical act is going to make him sweat like a beast. So that's going to be unpleasant to start with. He's I get the impression he's probably very hairy below the he's probably like Esau rather than Jacob. I'm thinking, and you know that yeah, doesn't some people, you know? but you know what you don't want is for your partner to say, "Oh, go on, take your sweater off," and you think, "I have." Um, so I, I think that could be difficult. Uh, See, I'm very into to body hair on a man. I like it. Uh, I'm not so about, keen. Yeah, I just yeah, it We need to be careful about the word "very" here, <laughs> right? I mean, it's not a fetish. Right. I assume it's not like you can do. No, no. I I have a type. Uh, my type is is a swarthy man. I understand. Um, I I think. You know, as you are aware, my my sexual awakening, uh, Rufus Sewell in Cold Comfort Farm. Uh, go ahead and Google that, y'all. I haven't seen the film in many, 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 many years. So if if it hasn't stood the test of time, don't get mad at me. I'll tell you who has stood the test of time is Rufus Sewell, who He's is a still, man, yes. yeah. yeah, a number one. Hold the phone. This is going long. We're going to split this into two parts. So this is now part one. Part two will be with you almost immediately after this. We just want to be like your mum and cut it up into smaller parts so it's easier to digest. So thank you for listening to part one. Part two coming soon to Blighty Today. Blighty Day 2, Electric Boogaloo. Blighty Day 2, a good day to blight hard. Um, yep, see you soon.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.